Today I wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about a lot of different topics, touching upon them, because it has been a lot of uh, things in the news and a lot of newsworthy items, and I just feel that, um, you know, I'd rather just ditch the format for today and just dive right into all of these um, things that have been, that have stood out in my mind, and, and I just feel like I'm going to burst if I don't talk about them with you guys. So uh, first thing I'm going to start off with is I'm going to go back to the midterm elections. Um, that was the last place that I left you guys uh, right before the midterm elections. And uh, I'm not going to go into depth. Um, you know, uh, obviously, uh, everybody knows, you know, the Democrats won, won the House back. Uh, the Republicans held on to the Senate. Um, there were a lot of big wins for the Democrats. Um, and for that matter, um, a lot of, um, a couple key losses for the Democrats that really hurt, especially on the Senate level and on the, um, the, the governor, the governor races in a couple states. And, um, you know, again, I'm not going to go into depth about that. I mean, there have been many different, uh, analysis and, and, um, in-depth looks at, at, at these particular races and, that's not what what interests me. What interests me is looking at the data and the numbers um, after the um, the elections, where it was um, you know it was interesting looking at the opinions and the overall affect of a lot of the Democrats and the Democratic base. And it was a sort of a disappointment, I felt, for a lot of people where they felt they were feeding into this uh, bullshit narrative about this blue wave and this blue tsunami or whatever the hell they were calling it. And they just felt I, that, I don't know, that Republicans weren't going to win any, any key uh, Senate races or governor races or I don't know what they thought, but at, at the end of the day, it was a, a wonderful, rousing success. And when you look at the numbers, which I did, I was able to compile and I wrote down some numbers that uh, just to contextualize briefly the monumental success of the uh, races and the outcomes of the race, I, I wanted to outline and I wanted to um, tell you guys about it. So it says here... <clears throat> The Democrats, they won the House. They gained 40 seats. This is the largest Democratic House gain since 1974. 1974. So we're talking 44 years. This is the, the largest House gain by the Democrats. If that's not a rousing success, if that's not an indictment on Donald Trump, if that's not what what uh, gives you hope and is promising going into the 2020 uh, elections, I don't know what is. I don't know, you know, you're walking around moping because you thought that the Democrats were going to take the Senate or I, don't, I have no idea or that the Democrats were going to win every single major election. No, that's not realistic. But, you know, this is very promising. 
We're not talking about one of your run-of-the-mill, uh, well, you know, one of your run-of-the-mill flip-flops, where you, if it's a Republican in office and in the Republican, all facets of government, well, you know, of course, you know, the next midterm election, the, the, the Democrats are going to come in and they're, they're going to flip the, the House. I mean, the same thing happened with Barack Obama in 2008. Democrats controlled the House. They controlled the Senate. They controlled, uh, you know, the presidency. And then in 2010, the Republicans took the House back. And then in 2012, they took the Senate back. No, looking at these numbers, I mean, the turnout and the amount of how the amount of seats flipped is the most seats flipped since 1974. It also says the numbers that Democrats won in this past midterm election, won by a wider margin than Democrats in 2006, than the Republicans did in 1994 and 2010. So when the Republicans took the House in 2010, it was, and this was in the aftermath of Obamacare being passed. And, you know, let's just say that piece of legislation being very polarizing with people. Even with that being put into place, to, uh, the, the Democrats performed better, a wider margin, than Democrats winning the House in 2006 under the disastrous George Bush administration, Dick Cheney administration, and Republicans in 1984 and 2010. Also, this is the highest turnout for any midterm election in 50.1% in the last 100 years. This is the highest turnout for any midterm election in the last 100 years. 35 million more people than four years ago voted in the midterm election. <laughs> that... If that's not promising, if that's not an indictment, if that's not the Donald Trump effect, you know, because you hear this a lot from Trump supporters. Well, you know, it's all overblown. Donald Trump is, is popular. You know, it's the media. It's the, it's the liberal media, right? When, when they say that, you know, they, they cite numbers to suggest that Donald Trump, his popularity oscillates between 35%, you know, his favorability ratings, 35%, to 45%, that's not the case. That's not true. You know, oh, you know, I don't listen to the liberal media because, oh, they said Hillary Clinton was going to win. So, ha-ha. Damn you, libs. You don't know what you're talking about. It's all just liberal. It's a liberal slant. No. How do you explain these numbers? Like I said, this is your average, uh, you know, people coming out to vote because... The, uh, the House, the Senate, and the President is all one party, and people are trying to flip that party. No, because it, it wouldn't explain the, the fact that this is, you know, the highest turnout 
in the last 100 years and that 35 more million people voted than they did four years ago in, the, in 2014 midterm elections. What does that say? Seriously. Right? The House Democrats won 10 million more votes than the House Republicans. The largest raw voting margin in midterm elections um, let's see here. Just trying to go through. All right, so voter turnout. Right, so they go through the different, um, and I found this very interesting. Not not particularly surprising, but still, I love uh, looking at data. You know, like raw data as far as who who's voting for what, what what particular groups, whether it's ethnic groups, racial groups, gender groups, age groups. I find it very interesting. Um, you know, where support lies amongst these these key demographics. So. Voter turnout, you had 69% of voters, Hispanic voters, voting Democratic. 29% voted Republican. 44% of white voters voted Democratic. 54% voted Republican. Black voters, 90%. Voted Democratic. Nine percent voted Republican. Well, it, it would actually be like ten ten percent. Seventy seven percent of Asians voted Democratic. Twenty three percent voted Republican. <clears throat> now, what that tells you. What I find very interesting is that you have essentially the white, the, the demographic that you call white, I mean, let's just call it, uh, let's call a spade a spade. Because you hear this a lot from the Republicans and the right-wingers, right? They talk about um, identity politics. And that's the reason why the Democrats get the votes from the blacks and they get the votes from the Hispanics and they get the votes from the Asians because they play upon identity politics. And, you know, a common retort, which is absolutely factual, is that, yeah, you know, okay, identity, but identity matters. Pointing out an identity is one, th is, 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 okay, that's fine. But, you know, no one says anything when, the Republicans in the right wing play, quote unquote, identity politics. When they're trying to, uh, uh, you know, when they're trying to uh, appeal to evangelical Christians by playing upon Bible, the Bible, and playing upon, you know, certain social conservative values, what the hell do you think that is? Isn't evangelical like groups and Christian groups, ain't isn't that like an identity? Isn't religion identity? Isn't you know playing upon you know white males mainly 
from rural to impo- like to uh, middle class populations that's not that's not identity and you know that's that's a common retort when people on the right try to play that bullshit and it, it's like a, a right-wing virtue signal because it's like well you know we're above the fray we don't have to rely on you know using cheap points to tr- cheap political points to politicize you know certain ethnic groups right let's just call it what it is if if the democratic party is a party of black people a party of hispanic people a party of asians a party of the youth the party of females and and that can really depend on a lot of things not white females but like females of color then what what do you call the republican party and I would say, and the data bears this out, 54% overall in the entire country, 54% of white people voted Republican. It's not even close. It's going the opposite direction. Typically speaking, it's 50-50. It's not even 50-50 anymore. <laughs> it's not even close. The Republican Party is white, is the white identity party. So I don't want to hear anything else about these people in identity politics because the data suggests in every conceivable fashion that even in a time where you would think that there would be less Republican turnout and more Democratic turnout, which I just highlighted the numbers, that even then 54% of whites voted Republican. What does that tell you? Another key stat that I found interesting was that voting for the first time, that Hispanic voters, 27% of Hispanic voters uh, voted for the first time in this election. 18% black, which is pretty substantial. You're talking about a quarter of the, the voting block coming out to vote for the first time in an election. Because I don't think it specifies for midterms. I think it's just overall voting for the first time. And for white voters, 12%. Now, looking at it from on a state-to-state level, Hispanics make up, made up the largest share of voters in Arizona, in Nevada, in Texas, in Florida, and it's very telling. In the Senate race in Texas, 64% of Democrats, 64% of Hispanics voted Democrat, 35% Republican. In the governor race, 53% of Democrats, uh, the Hispanics voted Democrat, 42% Republican. In Florida, the Senate race, 54% of Hispanics voted Democrat, 45% voted Republican. In the governor's race, 54% voted Democrat, 44, uh, 54, I'm sorry, 44% voted Republican. In the Nevada race, 67% voted Democratic for the Senate, 30% uh, 
voted um, uh, Republican. 66% in the, the governor's race for Nevada. 29% Republican. In Arizona, 69% Democratic. 31% Republican. And in the uh, Senate race, 55% Democratic, or excuse me, governor's race, 55% Democratic, 44% Republican. So what does that tell you? It's fascinating. Because 69% of the, the overall Hispanic vote was Democratic. And when you have a voting block that typically speaking, except maybe like Florida, which that's starting to change as, as I, and I think I have a theory on that and I'm going to touch upon that in a second. Why in Florida, you know, even though it's a little bit closer than, than like Texas, for example, as far as the disparity between Democrats and Republicans, why is um it's not 50 50 i mean it's pretty substantial it's closer but it's still pretty substantially um democratic the hispanic population and i have i have an idea as to why um but when you look at it it's it's when you have these key states in a lot of cases making up large shares of of voters i mean what kind of ramifications going forward does this have on you know elections in my lifetime and, and the way it seems like it's turning texas could potentially one day i mean uh, it's turning purple in the near future texas could be a, a freaking swing state wouldn't that be interesting if Texas one day became a swing state? Like what? <laughs> it's like bizarro world. What would happen then? Shit, what would happen if we get enough Hispanics in Texas and they continue to vote at such high numbers, Democratic? What if Texas became blue in my lifetime? I mean, shit, my father talks about New Jersey in when he was, um, you know, when he first came from Jamaica in the 1970s. He said by like the late 70s, early 80s, New Jersey was a swing state. I had no idea. I'm like, New Jersey? A swing state? He was like, yup. New Jersey, they overwhelmingly voted for Ronald Reagan in 1980. It was a swing state. It wasn't a, a solidly blue state. And you fast forward now to this current uh, administration and you see how the New Jersey people, how, you know, and I live in New Jersey, um, how they flirt with Republicans, Chris Christie, and, you know, you had, um, you know, some of the local uh, govern of uh, the local um, government positions filled by Republicans, even though it's considered a solidly blue state. Now, I mean, in every single local facet, in every single local um, 
election, the Repub the Democrats won just about in every single, um, you know, rep uh, representative um, uh, election. You know, in every single, uh, you know, local election. New Jersey is completely like their local um, um, legislative branch. Like it's all Democratic. So I just find that very, 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 very interesting. But what does that mean going forward? What does that mean? Seriously. It's not a hypothetical question. What happens to places like Arizona? Places like Nevada? You know, do they, do they, are they swing? Do they, do they become blue over the years? What happens? I mean, these are, you know, what happens culturally? Right? Like, I mean, for places like Texas, I mean, uh, let's uh, honestly, half of Texas was Mexico any freaking way <laughs> until like America jacked a lot of like, you know, Southern Texas and the Alamo. And, but as you could see, it's like, you can't, you can't stop the tide. You know, once these people are here and it's just, it's inevitable White people are having babies at, at lower rates. White people on average tend to be older in this country. You know, a lot of these, these ethnic groups are having more children. What happens? Could there be, uh, you know, uh, a Texas in the, the, like I said, in the next couple election cycles become a solidly swing state? That's a game changer. What happens to Florida? Right? Because, and, you know, I'm just going to go into my theory as to why I feel that, um, you know, it was so noticeable. Because they say that out of all of the Hispanic groups, that the Cubans, you know, you have a, 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 it's obvious, you have a high influx of Cubans in uh, Southern Florida, for example, and they tend to be conservative. They tend to vote Republican, right? Like, so that's generally, they tend to be, uh, you know, strictly Catholic, anti-abortion. So on average, they tend to vote more Republican. They don't really vote Democratic. So how can you explain that 54% of, of Hispanics in Florida voted uh, for the Senate race and 54% of Hispanics voted for Andrew Gillum in the um, governor's race? And I have two words as to why that is the case. Puerto Ricans. <laughs> Puerto Ricans. <laughs> you know, that that is the the... The going to be the interesting, you know, just looking at it from um, a geographical standpoint, it's going to be interesting see, looking at Florida going forward. Because Florida, I think, is always going to be one of these like bizarro states where, you know, everything it's like, you know, no matter what, it's going to be um, 
I think I saw somewhere it's like, man, you know, Florida, they, they would split between like uh, either a, a kick in the nuts or like an ice cream cone or some shit. Like it was some silly meme or something. It was like really funny. Like Florida always seems to like come down to like a, like an inch, like, you know, out of like every single like political race. I don't know why, but it's interesting going forward. I mean, you've had upwards to, um, I've seen numbers to suggest there have been a couple million or maybe, maybe a little bit less, um, maybe a little bit less than a million Puerto Ricans immigrating to Florida after the, uh, the natural disaster, the hurricane, uh, was it Hurricane Maria that took place over on the island. You had, um, you know, a lot, an influx of Puerto Ricans moving to the mainland, moving mainly to Florida. And Puerto Ricans, unlike Cubans, will vote Democratic. <laughs> you know, will, will there be more Puerto Ricans from Puerto Rico saying, you know what? I'm not going to stay on the island. I'm just going to move to Florida. I'm not going to move to New York. It's too cold. I'd rather just move to Florida. Are you going to see more of an influx the same way that Cubans have, uh, you know, the Cuban influx of the 70s and the 80s coming to South Florida? Or the influx of Haitians or the influx of Jamaicans or are we going to see that? I mean, we I would argue that we were already seeing that, but are we going to see more Puerto Ricans coming in? And that's a game changer. What happens then? Very fascinating, very fascinating to, to look at going forward. But you also have and uh, i also see that uh, there's a um there's an age there's an age breakdown as well and um the age breakdown is what you know again not surprising but uh, it's always fascinating for me to look at these numbers now it says from 18 they break it down 18 to 25 i don't know why they don't do it 18 to 35 but okay 18 to 29 years old 67% voted Democratic, 32% voted Republican. 30 to 44, 58% voted Democratic, 39% voted Republican. 45 to 64, 49 voted, uh, percent voted Democratic, 50% voted Republican. 65 plus. 49% voted Democratic, 49% voted Republican. So it was a split, which was shocking to me when I saw that because I thought it was going to be overwhelming Republican uh, people 65 and older voting Republican versus Democratic. And I'm also surprised by the 45 to 64 demo, you know, because, you know, you have a lot of these, you know, I mean, that's the boomer. I mean, granted, I mean, it's it's older Generation X people and uh, essentially, I mean, you're talking about younger, younger boomers. They're still boomers, though. <laughs> and I'm, I'm like, I'm shocked that it's so split. Shocked. 
but it's not even close. Eight, 18 to 44, it's not even close. You know, we're talking about almost double when it comes to 18 to 29-year-olds. And we're talking about all over 20% or just about 20%, 30 to 44-year-olds voting Democratic over Republicans. So what does that tell you? And what that tells me going forward is that the appropriate candidate going into 2020 election to fight Trump to win the presidency, the appropriate Democratic candidate has to be somebody who is popular, not only with people of color, you know, which is your base, it, it's not even a question, you know, 69% uh, Hispanics, 90% uh, black, black people, 73% uh, Asian, but also the youth, 18 to 29 year olds, or excuse me, 18 to 44 year olds. That is your base. So finding the appropriate candidate has a lot to do with figuring out which candidate can tap in and motivate and inspire the, the young people and the people of color. Without a doubt, without a shadow of a doubt, that is your base. But, of course, the Democratic brass, you know, they're going to put in, put out Joe Biden. They're going to put out the wrong candidate that younger people can't get behind out of this, this, this obsession with gaining votes, gaining voters that are never going to vote for you. Gaining, well, you know, we, we need to get the coal miner, uh, you know, or the, the plant worker in Michigan to vote for us. So, you know, we need Joe Biden. <laughs> you know, that's what we need. We need that middle-aged white guy from in the middle of, like, Pennsylvania to, 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 you know, vote Democratic. That's, that's the key to victory. It's not, you know, hey, let's make sure we get... People like in the, the metropolitan area in Philadelphia, high numbers of people coming out to vote because that's the most populous city in Florida, in uh, Pennsylvania, in the surrounding areas and counties in uh, Philadelphia, around Philadelphia that vote Democratic or Pitt Pittsburgh that vote Democratic or the surrounding like, uh, you know, outskirts that vote Democratic. No, we're, we're going to try to get like in Lancaster County or like somewhere in Bumblefuck, uh, Pennsylvania, we're going to try to get some farmer uh, to vote Democratic. <laughs> That's exactly what they're going to do. So they're going to they're going to try to propose they're going to try to put a candidate out there that's going to propose all of these moderate, quote unquote, policies. And, you know, they're going to spit in the eye of their base. And then, you know, when half of their base comes out to vote, you know, half of the people, because they're uninspired, they're going to they're going to turn around. They're going to blame Bernie Sanders. They're going to blame, you know, uh, uh, you know, the, the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. They're going to blame, you know, the rise in socialism. They're going to blame everybody but themselves. They're not going to hold themselves accountable. They're not going to look around and be like, man, we did a terrible job picking the right candidate to, to um, you know, appeal to our base. 
Um, you know, they're not going to look introspectively and look at the policies that they were advocating for. They're, they're simply going to point the fingers. They're going to point the fingers at Bernie bros. They're going to point the fingers at Bernie Sanders. They're going to blame black people. Why don't black people come out to vote? That's what they're going to do. That's absolutely what they're going to do. You know, you're going to see a lot of these white Democrats that are going to blame black people, but it's like, it's actually your people. It's white people. 54% vote repu voted Republican in this past midterm election. Yet you get pissed off in 2016 when the black turnout is lower because you they you decide to um, you know prop up a candidate that really said nothing to appeal to the to these groups of people. And she took for granted the black vote and took for granted the Hispanic vote and took for granted the Asian vote and took for granted the female vote. Oh, come on. Who are you going to vote for? The racist or are you going to vote for me? Yeah, that was that was her motto. You know, then at the very tail end of her ca uh, candidacy, you know, right before the election, now all of a sudden she's pushing for more progressive policy or advocating for more of it because of Bernie Sanders and she sees the support. But of course, you know, it's it's Bernie Sanders' fault. You know, yeah, you know, because he's not a Democrat. Remember, it's all his fault. It's his supporters' fault. It's never, never, talk about lack of accountability. Talk about lack of accountability. Right? But that's exactly what's going to happen. But looking at these numbers... It would suggest to me that the appropriate candidate needs to be somebody that is not only, uh, you know, uh, igniting people of color, 18 to 44 demographics, igniting people, inspiring people, getting people motivated to come out and vote for you, but also advocating for policies that are important to these people advocating for student loan debt relief advocating for uh you know funded college publicly funded college advocating for universal health care advocating for the legalization of marijuana federally advocating for getting big money out of politics advocating for gun control which is all your base in high numbers advocate for as much quote-unquote criticism bernie sanders gets from and i i don't even call it criticism it's just straight up strawmanning and bullshitting from quote-unquote moderates i call them establishment democrats and republicans for all of the criticism he is the most popular in every single poll every last poll he is the most popular politician in the country it's not even close. He is the most popular. He has the highest favorability ratings. He has the lowest uh, disapproval ratings 
unfavorability. He is the most popular senator. He is the most popular politician in the country. Why is that? Maybe because he advocates for policies that are popular. <gasps> oh my God. What a, what a concept. When you advocate for policies that not only do the American people, but certainly your base is, is uh, advocating for. But, you know, of course, the Democrats are going to go and they're, they're, they're going to fuck it up. I mean, you know, so far we've seen, um, you know, Kristen Gillibrand, um, she announced her candidacy, Richard Ojeda, he announced his candidacy, um, and then he withdrew it, um, former Trump, Trump voter, and, you know, now he's a social Democrat and in the same vein as Bernie Sanders and yada, yada, yada. And then, you know, Kamala Harris... Um, announced her candidacy, Elizabeth Warren. I've, I've seen, Ber I don't know if Bernie Sanders officially announced, but he was, um, you know, definitely it's looking like he is going to announce. <clears throat> it's it's going to be uh, very interesting um, going forward. I don't know who else is looking to, oh, Tulsi Gabbard announced her candidacy. And um, I look at it and I'm like, I'm like, it's, it's going to be a very fascinating race. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I don't really, a lot of the candidates are pretty, pretty solid for the most part. I mean, I know that if Bernie Sanders got the, um, got the nod and, and, you know, he ran for, he was running and in the midterm, he's got my vote. It's not even close. And I've even thought about advocating, you know, doing like some grassroots campaigning for the, the Bernie Sanders, um, um, campaign. You know, campaigning for him, raising money, doing whatever I need to do to make sure that this person, this guy gets propped up and, you know, a repeat of 2016 doesn't happen. So we'll, we'll see uh, about it going forward. Um, I'm going to have an episode where I'm going to cover more in depth. Um, the the pros, the cons, all of the the policies of each presidential candidate. Once the 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 field gets more solidified and we have an idea like who is definitely running and and you know um, and then we can sort of sit down and and discuss that more in depth. But uh, as of now, you know this is where we're at. So. You know, another thing that has been in the, the news as well is the uh, the border wall and, you know, the uh, the Trump administration pushing heavily for the the funding of the border wall. Um, there were proposals early on in the, the first uh, two years of Trump's presidency, um, you know, from the House and uh, the Senate, a proposal that Trump turned down that I believe would have funded the wall for $20 billion. It would have been $20 billion for the wall. And um, I, Trump turned it down. 
Um, I think it had something to do with uh, some of the provisions of DACA and not and not wanting to fund that. Um, you know, because if you remember, there was a um, there was a government shutdown, a temporary government shutdown, um, early 2018. So, you know, here we we fast forward to you know going into 2019, and here we are in 2019, and you know the the rhetoric ramps right back up. You know what what horrible terrible timing. <laughs> it's like this guy's supposed to be some genius. And, you know, the, he's the master of the, the art of the deal. And, and I'm like, you know, you had the House, you had the Senate, you know, and then you are all Republican. And somehow, some way, you couldn't get any funding for this wall. You decide that, you know, right before the midterm elections, I'm going to push and advocate and talk about the crisis at the border and, and you know, all of these, using all of these scary boogie boogie um, boogeyman terms to you know get people riled up more or less his base and you now decide i'm going to as the democrats are looking like they're going to take the house and the democrats do subsequently take the house you're going to wait and then now all of a sudden i need five billion for this wall and it's a it's a state of it's a national emergency and it's it's just been a disaster, you know, 35-day uh, government shutdown, the longest uh, government shutdown in American history, um, 800,000 uh, federal workers furloughed, um, well, which means they're, you know, not getting a paycheck, which is exceptionally cruel considering the fact that, you know, based on the economic landscape, you know, the, your average American, you know, has uh, less than $1,000 in savings. Uh, your average American lives paycheck to paycheck. And we're talking about, you know, workers that don't make, you know, 50, you know, or not even 50, but like a hundred plus thousand dollars a year, right? You're talking about workers that are probably making like $40,000 a year, living paycheck to paycheck. And it's exceptionally cruel because there have been store stories that have come out where people were sleeping in their car, people were being evicted, and I, I always say this, like, what kind of heartless bastard is going to evict somebody uh, out of, you know, if I'm a landlord, which I'm looking to get into real estate and ultimately uh, renting properties out. But I would never, if if I'm looking on the news, I'm seeing like, you know, I have a, a tenant who works as a, um, as a, you know, a TSA worker and he's not getting a paycheck. And I'm like, oh, you know, tough shit. You know, you better you better give me my rent or else I'm kicking you out. I mean, it's just like cruel as hell. But, you know, that's just the way of the world. There are people out there that are real cruel assholes and jerks. And, you know, if there was a hell, if there, you know, I would uh, love to believe people like that go to hell if there really was one. But that's besides the point. So, you know, you you hear these stories, these gut gut wrenching stories and. You know, all for for what? <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it it's really sad. And you know, when I hear the um the the corporate media, when you know you watch CNN and they bring people on, and you watch like Fox News and you watch CNN, I mean, uh, MSNBC, and you know they try to frame it as like uh, you know, it's 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 both both sides they need to come together, and both sides they're at fault. And I'm like, 
But the data doesn't bear that out. Data doesn't bear that out. You know, over 50%, I believe it was um, 60, it may have been like 60, like 62, 63% of Republicans, or excuse me, of the, the American people, so the, the voting block, not not break, broken down by Republican and Democrat, but the voting block, blame, say that the Republicans, and Donald Trump more specifically, is the blame for the government shutdown, or was the blame. Government shutdown has since been over, temporarily, for the next three weeks until there's, you know, adequate funding or, you know, adequate uh, resolution. Uh, can be put into place and then there could potentially be another government shutdown in mid-February, supposedly, right? So, you know, here here we are and it's like, it, it's an overwhelming majority of Americans, you know, we're not talking even a split. It's not even like, you know, the way the corporate media makes it seem like, oh, it's like it's 50-50, it's down the middle. No, it's not. The the data doesn't bear that out. Data doesn't bear that out. Now, granted, this moron, you know, decides I'm going to, uh, I'll take credit for the shutdown. I'll take blame. You know, whenever the government shuts down, I mean, it, it's not popular at all. It's very unpopular. And then when you factor in, you know, the amount of time, the length of time, you know, it's one thing if the government shuts down for a week. But you're talking about the government shutting down for, um, you know, over a month. People aren't getting paid. I mean, you know, uh, FDA, the the funding for the, F, or excuse me, the um, the workers, you know, decrease. It's like it's a hassle. So, you know, you look at that, and then and then you, you may have people who are sympathetic to Donald Trump who may be sympathetic to the wall, but they're like, at what cost? I'm not willing to shut the government down and have people not paid for a month or two or over a month because of this wall. You know, hey, you know, I, I may, you know, be lukewarm on it. I, w I may not like mind it per se, but at what cost? I'm not willing to die on that, that shield, so to speak. And then of course you have, and it makes sense. I mean, you have uh, about 35% of the, the, the country that are his loyal supporters, his loyal base, and no matter what he does, no matter what he says, no matter, it, it's, it's, it is what it is. They're going to support every single word. They're going to believe every single word that he says. They're going to uh, hang on every word. So, you know, it makes sense. I mean, you know, you have the other contingency of the country, 35 to 37% that are at, that they are fine with a government shutdown and they support a wall. And of those groups of people, 75% of them, uh, they were polling, said that it would be unacceptable, and this was during the government shutdown, if Trump, um, you know, opened the government back up without border wall funding. So, you know, that goes to show you why, you know, why the government shutdown went, went for so long. I mean, you know, you're talking about an overwhelming three-fourths of his base is like, you don't shut you don't open up that government by by no means by by any means you do not open that government up without that money for that border wall right so you know you look at it and you know since then you know there was a uh, state of emergency address for lack of a better term 
from Donald Trump, uh, you know, earlier in the month, um, you know, talking about the, the crisis at the border and the amount of drugs and the amount of crime and amount of, it's just horrible. And the, the hordes of people, right? And then, you know, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, they, their retort and it was all garbage. I didn't watch any of it. I read, um, you know, Trump, some of his transcripts and, you know, you had a uh, Fox news, uh, go figure, even freaking Fox news was fact checking Donald Trump. You know, and they had live fact checkers on CNN. PolitiFact did a live fact check on on Trump Trump's proclamations about the crisis at the wall and, or excuse me, at the border and why a wall is needed for American security and blah 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 blah. Right. So again, you know, he he, he gives off the tired old cliches about the drugs and majority of the drugs, the heroin and. Uh, you know that a lot of the epidemic that we have now, the opiate epidemic, could be could be blamed on Mexico and the drugs, the heroin that comes from there, and and you know, of course, you know he's telling a lie as far as in the sense that it's a lot more complex, and absolutely, it's true that a lot of the drugs or most of the drugs flow from Mexico. They come they come up from Mexico to the into the United States. But what he neglects to tell you is that 90% of these drugs uh, come from, they come through um, smuggled at legal ports. <laughs> they don't come through at random points in the border. They don't come through at, um, you know, parts where, you know, the wall would make any difference when it comes to the flow of drugs, because if you're coming through legal ports, legal, unless you're talking about abolishing legal ports, legal ports are still going to be there, whether a wall is there or not. And if people are smuggling in heroin and drugs through, you know, legal products, then a wall's not going to make a difference one way or the other. Plus, you know, it's a, the opiate epidemic has also a lot to do not only with heroin from Mexico, but also prescription pills that have been overutilized and and have been propped up by pharmaceutical companies. Of course, he doesn't mention that. And, you know, that's not that doesn't fit his narrative. So that's not mentioned that, you know, we have more people dying uh, in this country. The most deadliest drugs are prescription drugs. <laughs> More deadly than marijuana, more deadly than cocaine, more deadly than meth, more deadly than heroin. It's it's prescription pills. It's Valium. It's um it's oxycodone. It's you know it's um uh, you know um all of those pills. You know, Xanax. It's that's what it is. It's antidepressants. It's pain relieving pills. It's that's what what it is. But, you know, of course, you know, you, you, it doesn't fit the narrative. And, you know, you have people, luckily, who fact-checked it. And, and you know, that that is proven to be false. Then he talks about, oh, the, this, this, this uh, you know, this, um, you know, this mass uh, influx of people and coming into the country, which, again, is not, is not um, verifiable at all, Right. There, there, there's no evidence to suggest that there is a mass influx of people coming across the the border. You know, I mean, it's generally speaking, people come across the border, come coming from Central America, coming from Mexico. And, you know, that pretty much 
you know, stays fairly steady. And, you know, it, when you're looking at the numbers over the last few years, over the last 10 years or so, you've had more people leaving, you know, to go back to Mexico and leaving to go back as opposed to coming in. So you had a net outflow of uh, people leaving the country, uh, undocumented immigrants versus undocumented immigrants coming into the country. Right. So then he mentions, you know, oh, you know, crime, which again, you know, every single data indicator suggests that undocumented immigrants commit less crime than for, um, you know, um, 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 natural born citizens and you know, people who are uh, actual citizens of the country. Um, you know, it's 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 uh, not even close. I mean, it lower, lower rates of crime, lower rates of violence. Um, it is what it is, right? Boogie boogie, scare, scary. Mind you, he does nothing. He doesn't mention about, you know, illegal immigration. It has nothing to do with ethnicity. It has nothing to do with race. It has nothing to do with color, nothing to do with culture, everything to do with just national security. Never mind the fact that, or excuse me, law and order. Never mind the fact that half of the people who are here illegally are people that have come here on airplanes with visas, right? Like expired visas. There are people in this country. Never mind that fact. Never mind the fact that out of all of those people, half of the people who are here, um, actually a little bit more than half, maybe a little bit more, but at least half are, are here off of an airplane, not being, um, you know, smuggled in by Mexico and by Central America, that half of those people are Canadians. Half of those people that overstay their visas and, you know, they overstay their, their work or student visas are, are Canadians. So what the hell does that tell you? Right? So it's, it's just... It's it's all complete nonsense. It's bigotry. It's I mean it's 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 to the point where it becomes redundant for me to, to even repeat all of that. But you know here we are now. We're in a situation where Trump has um, you know he lifted the government shutdown. So luckily all of these workers, these poor workers who were caught in the middle of a policy that ultimately was not popular. One could say, well, it's it's. You know, I could, you know, you shut the government down. You say it's not popular because you don't support it, but, uh, you know, it's it's polarizing. It's fifty fifty, right? Like, you know, like Obamacare, fifty fifty. But every single poll that I've seen, vast majority of Americans are either like the wall. I don't support the wall at all, or I don't support the wall at this cost. You know, where it 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 you know, could cost, and they, the uh, NBC put out an article saying that the government, within the government shutdown, that $11 billion of revenue was lost, um, you know, for $5 billion, $11 billion was lost. <laughs> what what a brilliant businessman. That That's all I heard on the campaign trail. Oh, we, that's, this is what we need. We need, we don't need a politician. We need, we need someone like Trump because he's a businessman and he's going to make great deals and right. Yeah, what what kind of deal is that? <laughs> it's like, you know, I need five billion, so you know, I don't get it, and I lose, um, I I lose six 
uh, excuse me, I lose 11 billion in the process when I don't even get the initial 5 billion. And even if I would have, if they would have cracked and like funded him, gave him the 5 billion at the end of everything, he would have still, we would have still lost 6 billion. But, but anyway, so, you know, it, it's, um, here we are, um, you know, these poor workers, you know, for policies that were not popular to begin with, they were not even like what you would consider to be polarizing 50-50, people like, you know, this isn't worth it, it's unpopular, it's not, it's popular amongst his base, but the general uh, American people, not popular, and here we go. It's going to be fought. There have been uh, there's been some rumblings that I've read and that I've uh, seen where you know the Trump administration and they've sort of alluded to the fact as well where you know they're going to declare a national emergency and you know they're they're going to get their money anyway and it, it could be upwards to um, like eleven billion dollars or maybe a little bit more. That they can get if after they they declare a national emergency to get for to start construction on the wall, and the um, you know of course it's going to be tied up in court. It's going to go to court because he's, he's circumventing the Congress. And uh, you know here we go again, right? It's the and you know there's a high likelihood that it's going to be struck down in court because then you have to prove okay like where the, where's the data where's the numbers to suggest that this is a national emergency and then you know if there is the 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 slight possibility that uh, you know it stays up in court by the time that this wall is is being functionally uh put into place and 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 you know it's okay the construction begins trump can very well be like out of office <laughs> trump could very well be out of office next year and even if he won re-election which is a real possibility considering how the, the democratic elite the people you know the dnc and how garbage they are and unpo as unpopular as donald trump did is he can certainly win re-election Donald Trump is, um, you know, even if he won re-election, four years, another four years, and that wall still would not be built. And then the next person comes in and they're like, nah. <laughs> That's the sad shit. They're like, nah. Nah, we're good. Shut it down. Nope. <laughs> That that is the absolute. That's the saddest thing of it all. All for what? You know, you get people evicted from their homes. You're getting people, you know, not able to pay their bills. You're getting people, you know, destitute out on the street, not getting their paycheck for a policy that is not popular. That you know, every single engineer that is spoken to uh, about it suggests that it's going to cost substantially more money because of the the difficulty of putting a wall and in, in the location and and putting a wall like you know there are mountains and there are rivers and there are, 
you know, all of these things on the border of Mexico and the United States and the, the sheer mileage, over 2,000 miles of border, border, and then, you know, private property and all of these things that, you know, would, would hinder a wall that goes from, um, you know, all the way from the eastern part, all the most eastern part of Texas, all the way to uh, the, the most western part of California, it would cost, you know, all engineers that I've heard and that speak about it, like that I've read speak spoke uh, that speak about it, suggest that it's it's in it's unfeasible. That it's it's you know, I mean, it's doable, but it's going to cost a whole hell of a lot more money than than five billion dollars or even eleven billion dollars. I've heard in some cases upwards of fifty billion dollars, you know, that it would cost. And then when you factor in the um, the um the the manpower you know but you know the money and the amount of um you know how feasible it is to build you know in, in a lot of this these terrain to build a, a wall like that all the way through we're not talking about a gate we're talking about a wall <laughs> here we go unfeasible but it is what it is. You know, him, his supporters, they're all far gone. The lucky, the, the, the great thing about it is, is that although Trump has a more support, quote unquote, his base makes up about 30% of the country, of the, um, the electorate, which is fine. You know, because I, it's hard for me as, as bad as old people say, oh, Trump is terrible. Trump is horrible. I really don't see much of a difference between him and Ronald Reagan. And Reagan won every single state in 1980. It's, it's very easy for me to believe that if Donald Trump was transported back to 1980, that Donald Trump would be the most popular politician in the country. <laughs> it wouldn't even be close. So, you know, you fast forward to, uh, you know, 2019 and he's wildly unpopular. And is uh, the way, you know, his viewpoint, his outlook on life is wildly unpopular. And it's wildly the most unpopular with people of color, which by 2050, you're going to have, uh, it's going to be half, at least half of the country are going to be people who are categorized as people of color and the other half being white people. Right? We already see that. And, you know, the, 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 age group in which these ideas and these policies are most popular with, uh will, will luckily be dead not uh, soon <laughs> you know what i mean they'll they're dying off so you know luckily you know it's the youth that's like yeah no that's bullshit yeah no like it's you know that this is ridiculous not with the racism not with the sexism not with the homophobia i'm not with the not with none of that shit I'm not with it. I'm not with the dog whistle. I'm not with I'm not with it. And luckily, you know, the young people, um, you know, younger people um, that are like, you know what? Um, enough is enough. You know, right now, I mean, you have the most diverse generation getting old enough to vote now. Generation Z that's behind uh, or uh, yeah, Generation Z. Um, you know, the, the, the quote unquote Tide Pod generation. So people born between, 
you know, 1997 and, uh, you know, 2000 and, and, you know, I guess it'd be 2010, maybe, um, in that generation, uh, you, you have, uh, half of them now that are, you know, voting age and are, they're, they're getting into voting age. So here we are. Most diverse group of um, the most diverse generation in American history. You know, luckily, you know, if you can have you take any solace in um, any solace in the um, the direction of the country, you can look at the fact that these people are a dying breed. And which they are, they're dinosaurs, these ideologies. So, you know, I look at this and the border wall and, you know, it, it's all for naught. It's, it's just a, a product of which, you know, the, the Trump administration, um, you know, them, Trump, the Trump administration being the Trump administration. And they are who they thought they, that we, that, or they are, excuse me, what we thought they were. To, to quote uh, the, you know, uh, former coach Dennis Green, right? It's like they are who they thought we, we, who we thought they were. And that's exactly what this is. You know, for all the people and, and you know, maybe in a way it, there was some positives of Trump being elected because you had... I mean, you know, I don't know how much of a percentage. I didn't look at the data, but I, you kept hearing this pervasive, like, oh, uh, you know, I don't believe Trump. Ah, it's all bullshit. Ah, it's hot air. odds. Ah, you know, whenever he would say something or advocate for a policy, ah, he's just talking shit. Ah, he's just advocate. He's just like talking shit to his base. Ah, I don't believe him. Ah, you know, kind of using it as a buffer and a, and a justification to vote for him or for people that that they know who are close to them that voted for him that may not be racist or hold these bigoted views or hold these antiquated views. Oh, you know, it's his bullshit. He's not really going to do it. I love, you know, now that all of the rest of the sane um, thought process was like, uh, yeah, he is. <laughs> yeah, he is. We believe him. Absolutely. He's a narcissist and anything in which his base can give him pats on the back and give him, you know, and the, the Fox News uh, sycophants can give him a pat on the head and feed him doggy treats and give him compliments. He's going to do it because he is in he is uh, in search of compliments. So if if a wall is going to garner him, uh, you know, support red meat support to his, his base and make him out to be the victim in the eyes of his base. But, you know, you're a narcissist and you think that you have a whole hell of a lot more support with the general country than you do. I was just, uh, I just got finished watching the, um, the Ted Bundy tapes on Netflix. And it was interesting because for all of Ted Bundy's intellect, very intelligent guy, they were showing like after he was caught for the for the last and final time, 
And, you know, he's on trial for the murders of, like, the Florida State girls. And, you know, the, the, you know, the sorority girls. And he murders, he bludgeons, like, two of them and kills them and blah, blah, blah. And he, you know, essentially, you know, during the, the trial, they were showing audio video of him he's joking around he's smiling he's talking to the jurors he's talking to you know the, the his lawyers he's like he has his legs crossed he's just like he's a you know, walk in the park you know they, they offer him the the um the prosecutors offer him uh life in in, in prison for in an exchange of like the death penalty so if you plead guilty We'll just give you life in prison. We're not going to give you the death penalty. But they showed, they're like, he was so narcissistic that he thought he was smarter than everybody else. He thought that they don't have any evidence against me. I, I, I'm good. They're going to clear me. They're going to, they're gonna, I'm not going to get put in jail. They're not going to prosecute. They're, they'll, they're not going to prosecute me or excuse me, find me guilty. I should say. They're not going to find me guilty. And he turned it down. The deal of a lifetime. Right? He could have still been in alive. In jail nonetheless. But he could have still been alive to this day. And not put to death. Yet, he was so narcissistic. That he's like, nope. I'm not taking it. I'm not pleading guilty. I'm not, you know, because, you know, I'm innocent. What? I'm innocent. Even though people on the scene could identify him, he knew that he was killing these people. Yet he thought he was so much smarter than everybody else. He thought he was just going to charm everybody and get out scot-free. That's Donald Trump. That is, you know, someone who is not a narcissist looks at that and they're like why would you even you know why why wouldn't you just take the deal spend the less rest of your life in prison why would you take the deal not take the deal and, and risk doing you know going um the death penalty going to going putting yourself uh, to death it's almost on um it's almost um 100% certain that you're going to be convicted and put to death but when you're a narcissist, as, as smart as you are intellectually, and not saying Trump is smart intellectually, but I'm talking in terms of Ted Bundy, IQ-wise, when you're a narcissist, all of that goes out the window. And you become the most irrational person ever to where someone who is not, they're like, what? That doesn't make any sense. That's Donald Trump. You know, he's such a narcissist. I'm sure he believes that, you know, he's the most popular politician in the world and he's just the the he's the the most popular politician and you know, he's um you know, people are really the people love him and and people he has just such this this huge amounts of support and he has his base but he does not have the majority of Americans do not support him. Do not support him. Do not support his policies. Do not support his um, his outlook on life. Do not support the the administration as a whole. 
So, you know, we look at this and, you know, we see this and this can certainly be a, you know, um, a, um, a momentum thing going forward. Trump, the, the wall, um, you know, does not get funding. Trump opens the government back up in defeat. Wasn't going to get funded anyway. He took credit for the for the government shutdown in which almost a million uh, Amer uh, federal workers didn't get paid. All for, a, you know, a particular policy that's unpopular for a guy that has a favorability rating that, that oscillates between 35% and 45%. And this is where we are as a country.